Welcome back to our study of eschatology. This is eschatology session number 12. And we have begun talking about the various views of the millennium. Last time we talked about historic premillennialism. This time we're going to talk about dispensational premillennialism or um, pre-tribulational premillennialism, as it's sometimes also called. The key text uh, for all of our discussions about the millennium, of course, is Revelation chapter 20. This is the one passage in Scripture that explicitly mentions this 1,000-year period, which is where the the name millennium comes from. Right? Revelation 21 through 6 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So that's the key passage. And as we've said before, uh, when we talk about the different views of the millennium, uh, these are what we can call third order doctrines. They're not first order doctrines that we're talking about uh, Al Mohler's theological triage. Right? They're not first order doctrines. They're not doctrines that all Christians agree on. Right? All Christians agree on the fact that Jesus will come back, but the timing of his return is not something that all Christians agree on. You don't have to affirm a certain view of the millennium to be a Christian. Second order doctrines are those doctrines that uh, it's helpful for an entire church to agree on, like your understanding of baptism or the Lord's Supper. Uh, they don't um, make you uh, not a Christian if you hold a different view. For example, Baptists and Presbyterians hold different views on baptism. But if we are Baptists and Presbyterians who believe the gospel, then we're still Christians, even if we disagree on baptism. But it's helpful for us to be members of different churches where we can uh, carry out our convictions about an important doctrine like baptism. Third order doctrines are those doctrines that we can easily disagree on even inside of the church. Uh, and one of those is um, the nature of the millennium or the timing of the millennium or, or how this passage, Revelation 20, is going to turn out. So this is um, an area where there's a lot of disagreement. There are four major views that we're covering. We've already talked about historic premillennialism. Today we're talking about dispensational premillennialism. We'll also talk about amillennialism and postmillennialism. Um, but uh, today we're talking about what is arguably the most popular um, millennial view. Um, this is the view that you will find more or less in uh, the Left Behind books. 
Um, there's been a lot of popular um, preaching and teaching associated with this view. Um, it's a very popular view, but um, this view has not been around very long. Uh, remember we said for historic premillennialism, um, the, the case has been made that that is a view that you can trace back to uh, the early days of the church. Whereas with dispensational premillennialism, and here I'm, I'm um, my sources again are the book, The Meaning of the Millennium, um, edited by uh, uh, Robert Klaus, uh, and also Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, and uh, the notes in the ESV Study Bible, which uh, are heavily drawn from uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And um, here's what it says in the, in the book, The Meaning of the Millennium. Um, J.N. Darby, John Nelson Darby, who lived in the 1800s, um, he was apparently the first to articulate uh, the dispensationalist understanding of premillennialism. Right? So that's um, sort of a modified quote there. J.N. Darby was the first to articulate the dispensationalist understanding of, the pre, of premillennialism, which means that this particular view, dispensational premillennialism, is really only about 200 years old. Um, so that's significant to know, that this is not a view that has been around for a long time, like historic premillennialism, at least that's the case that has been made for it, uh, amillennialism uh, and postmillennialism uh, go back further than that. So um, that's significant. Um, also, um, is, uh, also significant um, is this, and this is a quote from Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology, he says, this view, the pre-tribulational premillennialism, is found almost exclusively among dispensationalists who wish to maintain a clear distinction between the church and Israel. This pre-tribulational viewpoint allows the distinction to be maintained since the church is taken out of the world before the widespread conversion of the Jewish people. These Jewish people, therefore, remain a distinct group from the church. Now, what he's talking about there is one of the distinguishing marks of the dispensational uh, view of premillennialism, or this pre-tribulational premillennialism, is an emphasis on the rapture, where the church is taken out of the world before a seven-year period of tribulation, and then at the end of that seven-year period of tribulation, Christ returns to the earth to set up his uh, thousand-year reign upon the earth. Now, you can tell, and, and maybe this is you know, uh, occurring to you even, even as I say this, you can tell how popular this view is because many people assume that everybody believes in the rapture and maybe there's a disagreement about timing, right, of when it is going to happen. Uh, there's, you know, there's mid-trib uh, mid um, people as well as pre-trib people and, and whatnot. But actually, dispensational premillennialism is the only millennial view that refers to the rapture, that teaches a rapture. Right? The rest of the views, their emphasis is on the resurrection. Right? So the rapture refers to um, Jesus catching up his church Right? Believers who are alive um, at the time, as well as uh, those who are dead being resurrected, I believe. And, um, but that's the emphasis, right? And this happens before uh, Jesus visibly returns to the earth. 
um, that is his visible return to the earth happens after this seven year period of tribulation. So the other major views don't even um, have that as part of their structure, right? So that's significant and, and the, the popularity of the uh, doctrine of the rapture uh, indicates how popular this view has become even though it's not been around for very long. But what Wayne Grudem is saying is that um, part of why this view works that way is because there is a clear uh, distinction in this view between Israel and the church, and they are more or less kept distinct. Um, now, I, I want to say um, dispensationalism has changed over time as well, and this this um, this scheme, this view, has been modified. There are different variations within this um, pre-tribulational, premillennial view, um, and so I, I'm working off sort of more the the more classical dispensational view. There are variations inside of here. So if what I'm saying doesn't line up with what you've heard or or what what you've been taught about this view, that may be the reason why. There are, there are some variations here, and I'm not uh, equipped to get into all the different variations, but this is sort of where it, where it comes from, all right? So here are the fundamentals of eschatology according to uh, this, this view, according to this dispensational view of premillennialism. Number one, there will be a rapture of the church uh, before the millennium and before a seven-year period of tribulation. All right, so there's going to be this um, this rapture of the church, and Christ is going to sort of, kind of come for his church, but this is not his visible coming. Right, the, at least that's the way. I understand it. Uh, number two, between the rapture and the second coming, the the visible return of Christ, where he returns to stay on the earth. Between those two events, there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. Number three, after the second coming, after Jesus comes and stays upon the earth, there will be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. And then number four, after the millennium, there will be a resurrection of unbelievers, the final judgment, and then the eternal state. And there are a lot more details than that. Um, and if you want to know more, again, that book, uh, The Meaning of the Millennium, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, the study notes, uh, the introduction at the beginning of the book of Revelation in the ESV Study Bible, all of those are really helpful depending on how deep you want to dig into it. All right, so that's sort of the, the basics, right? There's a, a rapture, Jesus catches up his church, um, and then there's a seven-year period of tribulation on the earth. Then Jesus comes down to establish his uh, reign on the earth for a thousand years. And then after that thousand-year reign is uh, the final judgment and the eternal state. Now, as I said last time, with all of these views, I'm going to give you some of the criticisms, some of the pushback um, that people who hold different views uh, will raise uh, against this particular view. All right, here's number one. The idea of Jesus sort of coming to take away his church, but not coming visibly upon the earth, uh, seems to contradict what Jesus says in Matthew 24 about his coming, right? That when he comes, 
that everyone is going to see him. It's going to be like the lightning flashing from the east to the west, right? That no one will have to tell you that Jesus has returned. Now, perhaps uh, dispensationalists will respond by saying, well, that he's, there he's talking about his coming at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. Um, but that, I think, would be one of the pushbacks, right? That the, the Jesus is coming for his church at the rapture doesn't seem to fit with Jesus' teaching about his coming in Matthew 24. Again, I think then they might would say, well, we're talking about two different comings, but um, that's one criticism. The second one, the, and this, this one um, is, I think is, is important to think about. Even if this doesn't change your mind, if you hold this view, this is still important for us to think about. The emphasis on the rapture seems to de-emphasize the New Testament's emphasis on resurrection. In other words, most of the New Testament seems to emphasize, and if you don't hold to this particular view, you might would say all of the New Testament, seems to emphasize the visible return of Christ and the resurrection of believers that will occur at his return. But in this view, the emphasis tends to fall instead on the rapture and the church that is alive at his return being caught away up into the presence of Jesus. And there's not as much emphasis on resurrection and there's not as much emphasis on the return of Christ to the earth. So even if that just sort of pushes you to think about how you talk about the rapture and how you talk about resurrection and how you talk about the return of Christ, I think that's a significant um, issue that we need to be aware of when it comes to this view. We don't want to de-emphasize what the New Testament clearly emphasizes, which is the hope we have of resurrection at the return of Christ. Um, Number three. There is only one passage of Scripture in the whole Bible that speaks of a thousand-year reign, and its interpretation is highly disputed. We're talking about Revelation 20, 1 through 6. So you shouldn't build a whole doctrine on one disputed passage. Now, that was the same criticism we brought up um, against historic premillennialism, which is the view that I'm closest to. Um, that's a, this is a significant criticism, too. Um, there are lots of things we could say about that. I, I gave some pushback to that view, um, that argument last time. Um, so you can go back and, and review those there. Um, but I think most people who hold this view would say, oh, we're not at all basing it on one passage. Right? We're, even though there's only one passage that mentions the thousand-year reign of Christ, there are many other passages that sort of feed into this view as a whole. Of course, that's true of all of the views, um, but I think they would push back on that this way here. And then um, uh, finally, fourthly, and again, this this may not apply to all the versions of dispensational premillennialism, but maybe at least to the earliest view, the, the division between the church and Israel that is so emphasized in, the, in this dispensational view that um, that um, has some pushback from passages like Ephesians 2 and Romans 11 and uh, the book of Galatians that emphasize the unity of Jew and Gentile 
in Christ. And that's not to rule out um, you know, a special plan that God has for Israel at the end um, in Romans 11. Those of you who have been following uh, my preaching through Romans, uh, we've, we saw that recently in, in uh, sermons toward the end of Romans chapter 11, that all Israel will be saved. Um, but this uh, continued emphasis on the distinction between um, God's plan for Jews and Gentiles and sort of keeping them uh, distinct. Um, it, it, some, some views would say, ah, that doesn't really square with what we're seeing in these other places in the New Testament. So there's a lot, again, there's a lot more we could say about this view. I'm not by any means an expert on dispensational premillennialism. Honestly, I'm not an expert on any of these millennial views. I'm just trying to give you sort of the, the basic outline, the general overview of how these views work and pointing you to some resources so that you can dig deeper if you're interested in, in finding out more about these questions. But um, one of the things I want to emphasize uh, throughout this last part of this study, as we look at these different views where Christians do have different convictions, different interpretations about um, uh, for understanding Revelation 20 as well as other passages, um, is to remember that the details about how this is all going to play out which is where we disagree, those are not nearly as important, important as the areas where we do agree, such as the truth that Jesus is, come, is going to come back, that all who belong to him will be raised from the dead, that there's going to be a final judgment, that all those who belong to Jesus are going to be welcomed into a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth, that we're going to see God face to face, we're going to be transformed into his likeness, we're going to enjoy his presence um, and we are going to experience the fullness of our salvation forevermore. And it's that that motivates us to live holy and godly lives now. And it's that that causes us to say, Amen, come Lord Jesus.